Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Bike ridership numbers in Portland ticked up in 2023 after years of declines. There were 5% more bicyclists on the road last year than the year before, but still overall ridership is down about 40% from 2016. That's all according to recent data put out by the Portland Bureau of Transportation. Jonathan Moss has been digging through this data. He is the editor and publisher of Bike Portland, and he joins us to talk about what he found. Welcome back. Yeah, good to be here. I actually want to start a little bit in the past because it, those the graphs that I've been looking at that you have on your site that PBOT has put out. I mean, 2016, it, it's, it now it seems like a golden age of bicycling in Portland. What was going on back then? Well, it was sort of in the, just a whole different movement, moment, cultural zeitgeist. Everything was just clicking on all cylinders uh, for, for cycling in Portland back then. I I do think it was sort of a, a golden era, although I'm, I've also trained myself to try to not refer to it like that because I think that uh, sort of takes away from the moment that we're in now. And uh, there are a lot of uh, really great things happening now. And I think it's important for people to not get too down on how cycling has changed in Portland over the years. Well, but what were the the various components that that made it so um, such a high percentage, certainly relative to, to, to the rest of the country, um, but, but relative to now as well? What was it specifically that made it so more people were likely to bike to work, to, to bike for transportation? Right. There are a lot of different factors. I think probably some of the top line ones is that like a lot of uh, things in our society, you know, narratives really matter and how a general, how the general people just feel about something is really important. And the difference now versus then is uh, things like, you know, this, the, the political winds have shifted where cycling is not something that was a top priority issue uh, in the city hall of Portland, right? With among leaders in Portland, cycling isn't something that they would lead with when it comes to setting priorities or thinking about what things they want to work on. And, and that's a factor of a lot of different things, um, uh, partly because in a lot of ways, there are just a lot of other crises that sort of notched cycling down several levels of which I'm sure a lot of listeners can can relate to that and understand there were just a lot of other things that that Portland leadership was working on I think and that uh, in, in in tandem with some uh, bicycle related stuff being controversial politically back during the heyday right so when when cycling was so big it's almost like one of the downsides of that that I would see is that you couldn't do anything in this town around cycling without a lot of people wanting to weigh in both advocates and any kind of sort of policymaker person whoever cycling was such a big issue that it it often found itself uh, in the media and in in sort of uh, I think sometimes false controversies around it um, and so the combination of of politicians wanting I think to steer clear from that and also just having to put out a lot of other fires from, you know, policing issues to homelessness to housing affordability and all sorts of other things. Uh, cycling just wasn't the first thing out of people's minds. And I think that eroded the brand for cycling in Portland. Uh, and I also think, of course, in the meantime, we've had a huge shift demographically of, of who lives in Portland, especially who lives in those inner neighborhoods where 
folks are most likely to ride because the infrastructure is good. Huh. Well, how much do we know? I wonder, I mean, is it even possible to know if the people who arrived in Portland 15 or 20 years ago um, are were as interested in biking as the people or, or more interested than the people who arrived one to two to five years ago? Well, there's... I doubt there would be a way to study that and get any kind of hard data. But I mean, as somebody who has thought about these issues for almost 20 years now, almost every day of my working life, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that just culturally, when you would move to Portland 10 or 15 years ago, it would be really hard for you to not sort of want to, I think, to not want to take part in cycling because it was just in the water. It was sort of woven through the fabric of the city in so many ways it was hard to avoid from art to business to politics to culture on the street that you couldn't avoid seeing if you're just walking or driving or whatever, you'd see it. Um, and that I don't think was the case as much with more recent uh, folks that have moved here. A lot of that has to do with affordability, right? So we find if you look at the cultural aspects of cycling and in terms of who, who tends to ride bikes a lot, it's folks who, uh, you know, just in whatever part of their lifestyle, whether they uh, have the time uh, or live close to town or are younger, let's say in general, they're more likely to, to bike. And what happened is I think as those folks got priced out of inner neighborhoods and, and weren't able to, to be in places where cycling was as easy, they stopped biking less. And then the folks that replaced them a lot of times were moving from parts uh, of, of America and other cities where cycling wasn't as strong culturally. Uh, and when they got to Portland, uh, the big, another big aspect of this is that the infrastructure uh, wasn't as welcoming as it should have been. And so we didn't convert some of those new people into our sort of local way of life, so to speak. Uh, and we just sort of lost uh, lost a decade or so of people coming here and, and thinking that when they got to Portland, you were sort of expected to ride bikes. Hmm. Well, so let's turn to the question of infrastructure. What do you see as the connection between infrastructure and and biking and desire or interest in biking? Well, the way we get around is a competition uh, for cities, right? So people make a decision about whether they're going to bike or take the bus or drive, mostly based on a competitive rubric of how much time will it take me? How good will I feel doing it or not, right? And I think the one of the failures of Portland is that we just haven't made cycling as competitive as driving. It's way too easy to drive in Portland. So I think that's one aspect of it is that we need to make that calculation for people much easier to, to have in cycling's favor. Uh, and a big part of that is I think it comes down to like the lack of protection of bike lanes. Uh, the other thing that happens over time, uh, even with people who are biking, is that your expectations of what you ex what you want to have in in the type of bike infrastructure you use goes up, right? Because you're looking at other cities that have better bike infrastructure and you're, you're used now to what used to be considered good infrastructure in Portland. All of a sudden, as time goes on, it's, it's not considered as good. And the city hasn't really kept up with that scale up of what people expect. So now what people expect is to have physical separation between the biking lanes and and the and the in the other lanes, as opposed to a, a so-called shero, a, a painted right. arrow saying, you'll, "But but you can expect bikes here along right. with the cars." Yeah, and you'll hear a lot from activists. You know, paint is not protection. That's become a real uh, mantra, and it's true. There are a lot of lot of miles of bike lanes even in some of the, the inner places where a lot of people are biking and we have high bike rate uh, historically, that the, the, 
the city of Portland simply hasn't come back and installed, you know, concrete curbs or Jersey barriers or any kind of barrier at all. There's been this idea that somehow uh, bikers and drivers are going to just share the roads nicely. And while I wish that was the case, I, I wish we didn't have to necessarily push for physical protection because it it has its own drawbacks, I think, to some degree. Um, we do. I mean, the way people are driving has gotten materially worse uh, and that also, by the way, plays into the narrative of people making that decision to bike or not is this sense that there's a growing recklessness and disregard for the law from drivers. And if you couple that with the fact that when people bike around, they don't feel a physical barrier between them and those people they feel are, are increasingly reckless and distracted, well, you can see why you know we are where we are right now. We're turning here to safety, and, and and as we've talked about on this show a number of times in recent years, roads have – it's not just a, a vibe. It's not a feeling. Roads have gotten less safe in general, record highs of traffic fatalities in recent years. Those followed, though. They did not precede the beginning of the drop in ridership back in, in, in 2016. What is the connection? How clear is it to you between the sense of, of safety – on roads and people's willingness, their desire to be on bikes? Well, I think there's a clear connection just psychologically. There's also research that's been done multiple times around the concept of safety in numbers. And I think that's the I mean that's the idea where the more people you see biking, the more likely you're you are you're the more likely you are to bike, and then the more safer you will be as well. Statistically, there's just something that came out in the last few weeks um, where they did a study of cities where there happens to be a lot of bicycling, and they're finding that the the traffic safety and, and fatality rates are much lower, and, and traffic safety is much better. So that connection is becoming clearer. But in, when it comes to safety and numbers, I think that also tells something of the story of Portland. And I think a lot of listeners can remember back before COVID when everybody was working at the office still and, and traveling down these popular corridors downtown or to other commercial centers, you would see big platoons of people on bikes. You would see dozens of people, uh, maybe a dozen people next to you when you're driving, you'd see them right there at the stoplight with you. I remember that uh, very so, well. Yeah, and so that sense of community, that sense of safety and strength and numbers and expectations in terms of behavior, that was really strong. And we lost that in the last several years because now commuting time, you know, the commute doesn't really exist like it used to in terms of that those great amount of people using the same corridors. Now those biking uh, trips are done spread out much more through neighborhoods at different times, right? So we're not all biking together like we used to. And I think that also has played a role in the decrease of cycling in Portland. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about the recent increase in bike ridership in Portland last year, that was after years, though, of deep declines, a decline that we have not even come close to climbing out of. Jonathan Maas is our guest. He is the editor and publisher of Bike Portland. So let's stick with this question of commutes. A am I right that that this data that we're talking about, it's based on 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 volunteers who fanned out and and literally just counted the number of bicyclists who went by them at various places, but at classic work commute times, is this a metric of of driving to or from work or biking to or from mm. work? 
Yeah, it's a metric that has been tried and true for, I think, over two decades at least. Uh, the city of Portland probably has the strongest sort of local bike counting methodology and practices of any American city that, I, that I'm aware of. They've been doing these manual counts for quite some time, which it makes them inherently valuable just because of the consistency over the years. And, you know, they're not just ticking down numbers. There's an extrapolation that happens. So they take a two-hour during peak commute. I think they do four to six when they go out to fan out to these over 100, well over 150 or so locations. And they and then they have some kind of algorithm, which I guess I've, I've never really looked into deeply, but there's a way for them to then, then uh, state that that's a, a good average daily amount, right? So they take that two-hour amount and they extrapolate it to get to this average daily amount of riders. So uh, it is considered in sort of in the industry, if, if you will, a good quality number. It's certainly uh, better, probably measure, uh, well, I would say definitely a better measure of cycling in Portland than the U.S. Census number, which most cities can only rely on the U.S. Census number because their city doesn't do such a good uh, sort of their own count. So that census number has never been a good one. If you talk to people that really understand these kind of things, they will really just shy away from talking about it at all. It it only asked about commute trips in the past, and it was just not considered a good measure of, of biking. Uh, so we, we're lucky to have these, these local local numbers. And uh, I think it's really stood up. I mean, no one's ever really uh, been able to make any cracks in the armor of these local counts. And mm -hmm. I, I know that folks might hear that they're done by volunteers, but it's a, it's a really great program. And they, they have complete trainings they go through and, and there's all sorts of uh, other things around it that make it a good, a good count. I, I do not mean to, to impugn the work of, of these <laughs> volunteers, but I, I do wonder post pandemic and with such a, a massive shift in mm. the way so many people, um, are, are no longer going to work at, at regular times or going to work regularly that many people are now working from home at least part of the time. I just wonder if this is as full a picture as as you want of mm. bicycling habits. Like, I mean, does it take into account people biking to the grocery store instead of driving? Does it take into account picking kids up from school instead of driving? I'm, how, I, what do you think might be missing from this in terms of of biking activity? I certainly think there uh, is reason to be concerned that even the city's count that we're talking about is not the best picture or a fully accurate picture. I mean, I think this even the city would would uh, admit to that. Um, but you know, obviously, they're limited by how much money and resource they can put into doing this. And because we live in such a you know car centric society, even the transportation engineering field and all that doesn't really have great tools for counting bikes yet. Uh, I think there's some Bluetooth things, there's some technology out there, but it's not widely used in the same way that we can count uh, driving trips accurately, right? So there's a whole uh, technological infrastructure set up for counting cars because that's what we value. So that's where we've put our time historically. And so sort of car trip generation counts have an advantage in that regard. But yeah, I think uh, there, these could be more complete. I, I've talked to some advocates that are looking at this and, and don't actually agree with the city's numbers at all and think that 
sort of because of what you referred to in terms of the locations that they're using, especially now, uh, having so much to do with the numbers that they get. And I do think it will take them a little bit to transition toward this new reality where we have more neighborhood-based trips, more trips, people going to school, and they're not on the same corridors. And I think the city is trying they're, – they're always – each year they're shifting the locations a little bit uh, and adding new locations. So I think in a few years maybe they'll get more caught up with the new reality. But I've, I definitely talked to smart advocates in town who – just don't think that the, the decline was even as as much as it ever as it as the city ever said it was, and they they've been looking for ways to come at these numbers differently and really get an accurate count. But it's just inherently difficult because hmm. uh, you know how you're going to have to have some kind of tool that can just sense when there's a bicycle rider coming by to really count them. So uh, I've also talked to people that say, look, we shouldn't get so caught up in how many people are are, are riding bikes that that's sort of a a false metric, and all we're doing is trying to copy the whole idea of uh, trips being the most important metric because that's always what we've done for driving cars and we should look at different metrics like you know community health and livability and that sort of thing so it's an interesting conversation hmm. all right but sticking with the numbers for a second mm-hmm. uh, how do you explain the the modest the five percent increase that the city found in bicycle trips between 2022 and 2023 what do you think happened Good question. I think it might be just like in a lot of parts of our society and our daily lives, we're sort of recovering back to norms, right? Before COVID, I think the shock of people's, uh, the way their lifestyle changed, that included a lot of them just not biking because for so many uh, Portlanders, getting on the bike to go to work was really how they experienced cycling most of the time. And so uh, they, that got removed from their life if they started working from home. And I think it's just maybe taken some time for them to reintegrate so cycling back into their lifestyle because they've realized that they've missed it, right? Or they're coming back to it after maybe not doing it as much for a while and starting to see some of those those health benefits uh, decline, you know, uh, over the years. So they're saying, I got to get back out there and start riding again. Uh, but other than that, I think it's just, it's a story of, you know, you can't keep a good thing down. You know, cycling, uh, given somewhat normal factors in society will always go up, in my opinion, because it's just such an inherently great way to get around and, you know, word of mouth, marketing, you don't really need to do much for it because it sells itself once people hop on a bike. It's just so fun and such a great way to get around, especially in a place like Portland, which compared to other American cities is a really, really great place to ride. So I think it's a natural correction. And I do plan to see future count reports only have higher numbers. I don't I don't ever see us dipping back down again. What else stood out to you in, in this survey about gender, say, or about e-bikes or about anything else? Well, the e-bike count was really interesting. It was the first time the city ever counted e-bikes as they were out there. They also counted some of those things that folks might have seen, like the one wheels, the electric skateboards. Those are growing as well. Also, they counted scooters this time. So there was a focus on what they call micro-mobility devices, which officially they can include e-bikes into that. So they found that 17% of all the Portlanders counted were riding e-bikes, a third of which were women and two-thirds were men. So that was interesting just because there's so 
much attention on electric bikes right now in terms of trying to understand what this revolution really will do to cycling. And so that it's interesting to have those numbers. Uh, we lost a little bit of our gender split that I think uh, Portlanders were really proud of. We had a, a pretty good split of, of male and female presenting riders. And that the, the, the amount of, of uh, women presenting riders was down just a little bit this time. And I heard some uh, consternation about that in a recent Bicycle Advisory Committee meeting from someone. Um, and so I'm not sure quite what's there, but that that stood out too. But uh, yeah, so basically that, the e-bikes and taking a look at that gender split. And then of course, the the little tick up is all was really great to see. Jonathan, thanks very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Dave. Jonathan Moss is the editor and publisher of Bike Portland. Tomorrow on the show, a new digital archive recently launched with film footage, audio recordings, and thousands of photos documenting black culture and history in Portland's Albina neighborhood. It was all collected before I-5 freeway construction and other so-called urban renewal projects carved up the neighborhood and displaced many black residents. We'll talk to a community member and an archivist about their efforts to keep Albina's history alive. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on the NPR app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. We'll be back tomorrow. Think Out Loud is supported by Stephen Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, and Michael, Kristen, Andrew, and Anna Kern. 